0: All right, if you have your Bible with you this morning, and I hope you do, please turn to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses 6 through 8 this morning, which marks both a transition and a beginning of a new section in our study of the book of Colossians, our study of Christ above all. And uh, Paul is writing this letter just to remind you to a church that was getting assaulted from all sides with Satan's lie that Jesus Christ is not enough, either for acceptance before God or for living a life that fully pleases him here on earth. Jesus Christ is good, the lie went, but if you really want to live the abundant life, if you really want to glorify God and understand him as fully as possible, then you really need to add in our philosophy, they would say. You really need to experience our mysticism. You really need to practice our aestheticism. You really need to observe our legalism. And if you would only listen to us, then you'd really know God and experience everything that he has to give. Because Jesus Christ, the implication what goes, is not enough. These were the lies the Colossian church heard, and these are the lies we still hear today. So, to wither that lie at its root, Paul spends 20 verses at the beginning of Colossians, from the end of chapter one into chapter two, just pouring on the truth, first of christ 's supremacy and then of christ 's sufficiency. Paul shows us in the opening verses beginning in Colossians 1:15 and following that Christ is the invisible God made visible. He is the one who is above all things the one who is before all things, the one who is the beginning of all things, the end of all things, the one who is to be preeminent over all things. He's the one in whom all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. The one who shed blood is all that is needed to reconcile all things, to forgive all transgressions, to impart all righteousness to all who call on him in faith. Jesus is the infinitely supreme and sufficient one. The one in whom Paul said most recently in Colossians 2-3 is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. See, the world's wisdom, at its worst, is destructive. At its best, it is incomplete. It may address one of the issues, but it will not address the issue of the heart. So doctors can be helpful. Counselors can be helpful. Pastors can be helpful. Helpful. But the ultimate answer to mankind's ultimate problem is to know Jesus Christ and to know Him more. Jesus Christ is all you need to meet the deepest, most heartfelt needs of life. That truth, if embraced, withers all the, satans of li- all the lies of Satan right at its root. So J- Paul pours on the truth in order to address that issue. But the errors of the Colossian heresy that that church was dealing with still needed to be directly confronted and rebuked. Just as we saw back in chapter 1, verse 28, a faithful ministry not only teaches the truth, but it also warns of error. And that's what Paul is going to do here in Colossians 2, verse 6, on into the end of the chapter. He's going to take each one of the central tenets of the Colossian heresy, which was human philosophy, Jewish legalism, spiritual mysticism, and physical asceticism, and I'll explain each one of those as we come to them. And he's going to send the wrecking ball of Christ's supremacy and sufficiency right through every single one of them. He's going to directly apply the truth of Christ to error. And the very heart of Paul's argument is found in verses 8-10 through of the passage before us where Paul writes, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy. And listen to this, empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him, verse 9 says, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him. Notice, Christ gives you fullness. The world offers you empty deceit. And Paul's message to us throughout the rest of this chapter is this, don't let the world empty you of the fullness you already possess in Jesus Christ. Christ gives you fullness, so do not let the world empty you of it. And it will. If you listen to the empty, deceit, and unsaved world's philosophy around you, you will miss out on the contentment and the fulfillment and the joy and the peace that ought to be yours in Christ Jesus. And so Paul's essential message that we'll be seeing over the next few weeks is this, don't let yourself be distracted. Don't let yourself get kidnapped. Continue in Christ's fullness and completeness. You have been filled with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You have been given all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You are complete and filled in Jesus. So don't let human tradition, empty philosophy, or worldly wisdom drain you of that. Continue in Christ's completeness so how do we do that how do we continue in Christ's completeness and not lose that experience of his filling and his fullness as believers in our Christian lives God tells us two main ways first live life attached to Christ that's in verses 6 through 7 and second think thoughts according to Christ that's in verse 8 so live life attached to Christ and think thoughts according to Christ. This is how we continue in Christ's completeness and enjoy the fullness that we have in Him. We'll look at that first point this week and look at the second next. So with that in mind, let's read Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 on into verse 10 for context. Paul writes this, Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord... So walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding with thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him... The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. This is the word of God, whose precepts we will not forsake, though we come to our end here on earth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word this morning. We thank You that it is the truth that is necessary to guide our lives, to live a life that is fully pleasing to You. Father, we understand that left to ourselves, this is a closed book. So Father, I pray that over these next few moments, Your Spirit would be at work accompanying the teaching of Your Word to apply it to the hearts and minds of the people who have gathered here today so that no one, Father, would leave this room in the same condition in which they came. Father, we pray that You would change us and make us and mold us. Father, I pray that by the end of this message, we would come to love and adore and worship Christ more supremely as we ought than when we first came into this building. By Your grace, do a work that only You can do, Father, we pray. And watch over the words of my mouth. Remind us of the glory of Christ today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if we are to continue to be filled with the fullness that is ours in Christ Jesus, and not be drained by the empty philosophies and ideas and traditions of the world around us, then we must first, Paul says here, live a life that is attached to Christ. That's in verses 6-7. through where Paul writes this, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding with thanksgiving. Paul's going to teach us here that we must live a life that is attached to Jesus Christ, a life that is vitally connected to Him. So how do we do that? There are two ways that we'll see in this passage of how to live life attached to Christ. First, it is through a past receiving of Christ. And then, secondly, it is through a present relationship with Him. So, first, if we live a life attached to Christ, then that means we must have experienced, we must experience a past receiving of Him. A past receiving of Him. That's at the beginning of verse 6, where Paul writes, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord. And that is exactly what the Colossians had done. They had received, they had embraced Christ Jesus the, as Lord. How? Through the gospel. If you look at the middle of verse 7, just after this, you will see that it tells us right in the middle of that verse that they had been taught. So you ask yourself as a Bible student, taught what? We've already been told. Back in Colossians 1 verse 5, it says that they were taught the word of truth that is the gospel. Or as verse 6 immediately afterwards puts it, they were taught the grace of God In truth, just as they had learned it from Epaphras, their faithful pastor and elder. See, through his dramatic conversion on the Damascus Road, our author of the book of Colossians, Paul, he came to understand the grace of God in truth, did he not? Through his dramatic conversion on the Damascus Road meeting Jesus, he came to understand it. As 1 Timothy 1, verse 13 and following records, though formerly Paul was a blasphemer, murderer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, Paul received mercy, and Paul says he received overflowing grace through the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And through that life-transforming experience, through that life-transforming reception of Christ, Paul came to realize this glorious truth, that Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners see jesus had come to give grace and forgiveness to all those who call on him in faith no matter their sin no matter their guilt no matter their failings that realization gripped the apostle paul and transformed his life and so paul taught this wonderful good news of god's grace to everyone he met that's what the book of acts is all about that's what the last part of your bible is about And just as he passed it on to Timothy and other faithful men who would be able to teach others also, Paul passed this good news of Jesus Christ and the grace of God that is found in him. He passed this on to Epaphras. And glory of glories, faithful Epaphras, he took that saving truth of the gospel and he went back to Colossae. And as verse 7 indicates, he taught there the grace of God and all of its truth as well. And the Colossian believers heard the good news from Epaphras and they embraced it by faith. They received Christ Jesus as Lord. How? By embracing the good news of the gospel. I wanted to emphasize that process this morning and connect those two thoughts together so that you would realize this. It is only by coming to an understanding of truth in their minds that the Colossian believers were able, by God's grace, to make a commitment of faith with their life. I think this is where many Christians fail in evangelism because so often our evangelism is heavy on emotion and very light on truth. Is your life miserable? Like a country song? Have you lost your wife, your house, your wallet, and your pickup truck? Then come forward, pray a prayer, repeat after me. Let's get baptized and let's sing all six stanzas of Just As I Am until someone comes forward. See, so often we call on people to make an emotional response when in reality they have no idea what they are doing. They're just coming forward so they go, stop singing the song and they can go to lunch. We have to remember there is no shortcut to salvation. If they, by God's grace, are ever to make a commitment of faith with their lives... They must first come to an understanding of truth in their minds. In fact, over in Ephesians 4, 20-21, it's an interesting passage. Paul describes faith in Jesus Christ as learning Christ. He describes it as hearing about Him and being taught in Him, even as the truth is in Jesus. See, our mission, and we need to remember this, our mission as a church is not to create converts. Our mission as a church is to create disciples. And so we make the Word of God fully known so that those who hear might come to know and follow Jesus Christ as Lord. Just as what has happened among the Colossians. The good news of Jesus Christ's supremacy and sufficiency was taught. They embraced it by faith and they submitted themselves to Christ's saving sovereignty. They were saved. They received Christ Jesus as Savior and Lord. And in that moment, they became equipped towards living a life that enjoys Christ's fullness and rejects the world's emptiness. They had a past receiving of Jesus. So before I move on, I have to ask this question when you come to a passage like this as a pastor. Have you received Christ Jesus, the Lord? Have you received Him as Savior and Lord? Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ this morning by faith? Have you confessed your sins to Him and asked Him in His power, in His sufficiency, in His supremacy to save you from your sins? Or is that something that you're still considering this morning? Maybe examining. I encourage you this morning to continue to look, to continue to examine, continue to seek a greater understanding of Jesus Christ from His Word. But also remember what the Scriptures say. Behold, now is the favorable time, and behold, now is the day of salvation. So I want to encourage each one of you here to live a life that is attached to Christ, and it all begins by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and being saved. Other than that, you will live an empty existence that goes on into eternity of absolute vanity because you turned your back on Him who is the fullness of God. Then upon having a past receiving of Christ, though, you can then begin a life, uh, live a life attached to Christ through a present relationship with him. And this is the the main thrust of what Paul says this morning in this passage at the end of verse 6 into verse 7. See, trusting in Jesus Christ is not the climax of our Christian life, right? Sometimes people, we think that, right? Well, I trust in Jesus Christ, I'm good, and now I can get to live life the way I want to. That's not the way scripture presents this at all. Trusting in Jesus Christ is not the climax of your Christian life. It is just the starting point. It is the beginning of a grand adventure and journey with Jesus. Through the gospel, we are called simply not to come to Christ. We are called to continue with Him. To continue with Him. As Paul says here, we are called to walk in Him. This emphasizes a continued focus. As First John 2.28 says, And now, little children, continue to live in Him. So that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. See, those who have truly been drawn and saved by the Father's grace will not only come to Christ, they will continue with Christ. They will walk in Him. It's Hebrews 10.39 says, We are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith to the preservation of their souls. Right? We not only receive Christ we walk in Him by His grace. How? How are we to walk in Christ? In the same manner in which we first received Him. That's what Paul says. He says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Now Paul's going to get very specific in what exactly that looks like in a moment, but I don't want you to miss the forest for the leaves this morning. I want you to get the big picture. What does it mean to walk in Christ in the same way in which you first received Him? Think back on our study of the gospel as a faith family. When we first came to Jesus Christ for salvation, how did we come to Him? We came to Him by grace alone through faith alone. Correct? Ephesians 2.8 says this. So having come to Christ by grace alone through faith alone, we are to continue to live in Christ by grace alone through faith alone. That's why Paul writes this section. He writes this section because there is a tendency for us as believers to, after realizing that there is nothing we can do to make ourselves acceptable to God and thereby we respond to Christ in faith, there is a tendency to then act as if we've been set free to live the rest of our Christian life entirely in our own strength, in our own efforts, according to our own ideas, using our own wisdom, hence the attraction of all the worldly things that Paul is attacking in this letter. The plausible arguments like human philosophy, Jewish legalism, spiritual mysticism, and physical asceticism, those are all essentially statements of thanks for the grace and the faith that's mine in Christ God, but I think I can handle it on my own now. Having begun in the spirit, we can begin to think that we are now being perfected in the flesh, as Galatians 3.3 says. So Paul says, no. Do not be taken in by Satan's lies. Christ is all you needed at the moment of salvation. Christ is all you ever need for the rest of your life. Just as you received Christ Jesus the Lord in absolute faith and dependence upon His grace, so walk in Him in absolute faith and dependence upon His grace. Live in Christ just as you came to Christ by grace alone through faith alone. And Paul breaks that down Uh, And what it looks like exactly in verse 7. To walk in Christ just as you received Him and to live a life that continues in Christ's completeness means first, means first living a life that is rooted in Him. Paul writes, As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. How? Beginning of verse 7, rooted, he says, in Him. Here Paul is saying that if I continue to enjoy my completeness that is mine in Jesus, then that means that my entire life has to be rooted in who? In Jesus Christ. My life, my existence, and my very sense of identity is to be firmly rooted in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is to become the most foundational reality of my existence. Why? Because that's exactly the way we first came to Christ, is it not? What are the songs that we sing? Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to Thy cross I cling. Or as the modern hymn puts it, Hallelujah, all I have is Christ. Hallelujah, Jesus is a great addition to what I'm really living for. No, Jesus is my life. When we first came to Christ, you might have forgotten this. I'm here to remind you this morning. When you first came to Christ, nothing mattered more in that moment than the truth that you were in Jesus and Jesus was in you. That was all that mattered. Your entire identity was wrapped up in the glorious reality that you were rooted in Him. Paul expresses the spirit of that moment when he writes in Philippians chapter 3 verses 8 through 9. For his sake, he writes, I have suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but having a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. See, in the moment of our salvation, when we first received him, that was our stability. That was our comfort. That was our identity. That no matter what might happen to us for the rest of our life, we had no idea. None of that mattered in that moment because all that mattered at the moment of our salvation was it is well with my soul. When we first received Christ Jesus the Lord, our being and identity was firmly rooted in Christ and in Christ alone. But what can be our tendency as believers if we're not careful? Our tendency can be that other identities become more important to us than our identity in Christ. All I have is Christ? Well, I mean, I got my country. All I have is Christ? Well, I've got my community, my people. All I have is Christ? I've got my job, my family, my spouse, my ministry. We can begin to put our roots down. And we can begin to find our identity in other things. And when we let those other identities take precedence over our identity in Christ, we become spiritually uprooted. Because what if God takes away your country? What if God takes away your sense of community? What if God takes away your job, your family, your spouse? What if God takes away your ministry? Will you be blown about? Will you be overcome with distress and discouragement by what's happening around you? Or will you continue to stand strong because your identity is firmly rooted in Jesus Christ the Lord? You know what God's doing in this world today as I was thinking about it over this last week? Amidst all the change and uncertainty, God is reminding His children you've been putting roots down in the wrong place. Put your roots down. In Jesus Christ alone. He is all you need. As you received Jesus Christ the Lord, so walk in Him. Be rooted in Him. Second, live a life revitalized by Him. Paul says in verse 7 that we are to live a life rooted and what? He says, built up, in Him. Beautiful picture. This is very similar to what Jesus says and commanded us all to do over in John fifteen four through 5 Where Jesus says, "...Abide in Me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in Me. I am the vine," Jesus says. "...You are the branches. Whoever abides in Me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit." For apart from me, you can do nothing. See, Jesus was reminding his disciples, you have a relationship with me. So now cultivate it. Deepen it. Strengthen it. Be built up in it. That's exactly what Paul is saying here in Colossians. Be continually built up in Christ. He's the vine. He's the source of our strength. He's the fountain of living water. So bury your roots deep into Jesus so that you can be built up into Him. As Jeremiah 17 verse 7 says this, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream And does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green. And it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. We have to be honest about our spiritual condition, ladies and gentlemen. Why are we so often dry and discouraged? Why are we so often parched and impoverished? Why are we so often anxious and afraid? It's because we so often choose to forsake the fountain of living waters and lay our roots down next to broken cisterns that God says holds no water. It's why Jesus would have us hear his call today from John chapter 7 verses 37 through 38. If anyone thirsts, Jesus says, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This is to be the entirety of our Christian experience. Growing in Jesus. Growing into His Word. Growing into prayer. Growing into fellowship with His people. Putting our roots deep down and drawing up His nourishment and life so that we can be built up and revitalized by Him strong even in the midst of the strongest storms. As you receive Jesus Christ the Lord, so walk in Him. Live a life rooted in Him. Live a life revitalized by Him. Third, live a life that is reliant on Him. Paul writes, and established in the faith just as you were taught. See, Paul was reminding us that when we first trusted in Jesus Christ for our salvation, that moment of faith happened in the context of teaching, did it not? Someone taught you the truth about Jesus Christ. How else could you respond? right someone communicated to you the gospel of Jesus Christ as paul says here you were taught not just faith he says you were taught the faith right the defined faith the once for all delivered unto the saints faith talked about in jude 3 when you first came to christ you were taught from the established body of truth the scriptures so now paul says establish yourself in that truth make yourself strong in the faith See, you have no need, ladies and gentlemen, for secret or higher knowledge. You have no need for private revelations. You have no need for additional words from the Lord. But what you do have need of this morning is to become more firmly established in what God has already given to you. Broaden your knowledge of God's words so that your faith can grow on that foundation. Live a life relying on Christ and on His words. That's how you first came to Christ, is it not? When you first received Christ as your Savior, it was an act of what? Faith. You at last believed in that moment that Jesus was able to do exactly what He had promised. Save you. And I have a question for you. Was Christ sufficient to His promise? He was, brothers and sisters, more than sufficient. We must not lose that faith. That conviction that we had at the first, that Christ alone is totally sufficient to meet the deepest needs of my life. When you first came to Christ, you realized in that moment that uh, in that moment of salvation that the world was bankrupt and that you were bankrupt and that the only hope you had was Jesus. And you cast yourself upon his supremacy and his sufficiency, upon his power and his promise. I have a question for you. Is the world no longer bankrupt? Is the are you no longer bankrupt? Is Christ no longer sufficient? You believed that Christ was all you needed then. Paul says believe that Christ is all you need now. As Paul testifies over in Galatians 2:20, the life I now live in the flesh I live how by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, you're not only saved by grace through faith, we are called to live by grace through faith. To live by faith in the Son of God, absolutely reliant on his power and promise. As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, Paul says, so walk in him, rooted in him, revitalized by him, reliant on him, and finally live a life rejoicing over him. That's where Paul says, and abounding in thanksgiving. See, a life that recognizes that Jesus is all they need will be a life that is marked by what? Thanksgiving. And a believer who is thankful will not be easily led astray from Christ. Now, a discontent believer? A grumbling believer? They will easily fall victim to the promise of Satan that gives of more. But a believer that understands that Jesus Christ is the very fullness of God, the one in whom is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge just waiting to be discovered, that believer will be impervious to Satan's lies and will be marked by abounding joy and thanksgiving. He's not looking for anything else in life. He has all he needs. And he rejoices in it daily. Is this not how you first received Christ as your Savior? When you trusted in Christ, you received Him with thanksgiving. I remember as a little boy, suddenly having the eyes of my understanding being enlightened as to the meaning of Christ, suddenly being flooded with a supernatural faith that was not my own and suddenly crying out to Christ for forgiveness and salvation. Well, as I looked up from that prayer there on the kitchen room floor, I suddenly realized I was bawling. And my mom asked me, why are you crying? And I sat there for a second and I said, because I'm happy. I'm just so happy. For the first time in my life, I was truly happy. And I was thankful. You see, whereas a lack of thanksgiving is one of the first indicators of an unbelieving heart, according to Romans 121 I just don't know what to be thankful for those who have trusted in Jesus Christ are marked by an attitude of thanksgiving towards Christ this is one of the ways we can judge every message by the way and every teaching that comes to us in life as believers we can judge it by this single question is this teaching me making is this teaching making me more thankful for Jesus does this help me grow in my love for him to be rooted and built up in him and to be more established in his word or is this teaching seeking to draw me away from Christ and, above, and, and from his words above all? Because just as we receive Christ with thanksgiving, so we are to walk in Christ with thanksgiving. And whatever does not push you towards that goal can be thrown in the waste paper basket. We are to live life with thanksgiving. As Paul says later in Colossians 3.17, Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Or as 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, give thanks in all circumstances because this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You see, you're in Christ. You have every reason to abound in thanksgiving. Therefore, walk in Him in that way just as you received Him. One of the tests of spiritual maturity and one of the indicators of how well you are doing and continuing in Christ's completeness is to ask yourself this question. How often do I think, I am just so thankful. As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Live a life rooted in Him. Live a life revitalized by Him. Live a life reliant on Him. And live a life rejoicing over Him. This is how you live a life that's attached to Christ. It is through a past receiving of Him and a present relationship with Him. A relationship that continually realizes, just as it did at first, that Jesus Christ alone is all you need for identity, for growth, for confidence, and for joy in living. So as we close this morning, I want to ask you, are you experiencing the fullness and the fulfillment that is offered in Christ? First, have you received Him? Have you received Christ Jesus the Lord? The only way for a branch to experience the life-giving fullness of the vine is to be attached to it. Have you received the fountain of life, the Lord Jesus Christ, by faith? Is it possible that one of the reasons why your life is so dry and why you care so little about the things of God is because you have not even trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God is raised him from the dead, you will be saved right where you sit. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness and to make from and to give you rivers of living water that will flow out of you. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Receive Christ Jesus the Lord. Have you received him? And then, second, are you walking in him? Right now. Believer, are you living a life that is rooted in Christ? Or are you rooting your life in other lesser things? And you can see that by your discouragement and anxiety and distress every day. Believer, are you living a life that is being revitalized by Christ daily as you're growing into His Word, into prayer, and into fellowship with His people? Or are you living a life that seems increasingly more disconnected, from Christ. Are you living a life reliant on him? Trusting completely in his grace and his ability to do what only he can do? Or are you thinking that you're able to perfect yourself? Are you living a life that's rejoicing over him? Or you live a life that has very little joy? Because you think you're needing something more. This week, believer, remember Your true identity. It is Christ above all. Remember your true source of life daily. It is Christ above all. Remember your true hope and your confidence in life. It is Christ above all. And remember your true source of joy and peace. It is Christ above all. This is how you live a life that experiences the fullness of Christ. It begins by living a life attached to Him. Apart from Him, you can do nothing. You will be dry, discouraged, and miserable. Connected to the ever-living Christ, you will live a life of vitality, joy, peace, and strength in Him. Live life attached to Christ. As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. We'll have to leave the rest for next week, but for now, this is the Word of God from Colossians 2, 6-7, through 7, which I now commit to your further study and your faithful obedience. So to that end, let's pray. Father, I pray that You would help us to apply these truths to our lives, each and individually where we sit. Father, I pray that if we have been getting our sense of fulfillment or contentment or identity anywhere else, Father, I pray that by Your grace, You would remind us that the most important thing is our identity with Jesus. Father, help us this week to preach the Gospel to ourselves each and every day. Father, help us to remember that He alone is our sense of belonging and our sense of purpose and peace. Father, I pray that we would not look for fulfillment or life any other place. Father, help us to be more constant in Your Word and in prayer and in fellowship with each other so that we would experience daily the filling and fullness that only comes from Jesus the divine. Father, I pray that this week we would also manifest to a watching world an abounding thanksgiving as the rest of the world is thrown into distress and discouragement and anxiety because of the world falling apart around them. May we go throughout our lives and our days Filled with joy and gratitude because we know Jesus, and knowing Jesus is all we need. Father, if there is someone here that doubts that, and I pray, Father, that this week, through Your Word, through prayer, through fellowship with other believers, they would come to realize to a greater and greater degree of all the riches that are theirs in Christ Jesus. We thank You that He is the fullness of God. And that He is the fullness of every believer who is trusted in Him. May we live a life that exalts Him above all this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.